Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I'm Vienna Farron, a licensed marriage and family therapist. I've spent over 25,000 hours working with individuals and couples and families, which has given me a front row seat to our capacity for change, no matter how challenging a story might be. This is a show where I speak with anonymous guests every week about challenges they're facing. We're strangers up until the point we sit down with one another. And I have to say, it's actually really challenging it's really hard for me to go in without much information or having a previous relationship with them. Every time I sit down with a guest, I'm hearing their story for the first time. I'm trying to create a sense of safety for them and create some type of connection for us. And I'm also wanting us to accomplish something without forcing it or leading them to a particular outcome. We're giving you real conversations to see what can actually be accomplished in a short amount of time. Even though what you're listening to in the show is not how I work with my actual clients, it's pretty incredible what a one-off conversation with someone you don't know can lead you to. In fact, I think it's quite remarkable. I'm the author of the national best-selling book, The Origins of You, which explores how to break family patterns so you can liberate the way you live and love and create the life and relationships you've always wanted. What I've found time and time again in all of my work is that the unwanted patterns in our adult lives are really just unresolved pain from the past trying to grab for our attention. If we can be brave enough to face our patterns, a lot of beautiful healing work can happen. That's why this show is named This Keeps Happening, because who hasn't said that once or twice before to themselves? I hope what you hear today helps you as you go through your own journey. I hope someone's story holds up a mirror for you and reflects something back to you about yourself or someone you love. Because sometimes learning through other people's stories is a beautiful invitation to learn about our own. Our guests are anonymous. Names and other personally identifiable details within their stories may be changed or excluded. Conversations with participants are limited consultations. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. It is for informational purposes only. In today's episode, I speak with Michelle. That's her alias. She says she's an open book, but struggles to trust and get close to others. She can storytell her painful moments that create the illusion of connection for others, but she shuts her own pain down. We learn that Michelle does this to protect, caretake, and manage the emotional experience of others. People she doesn't believe can handle her full range of emotion. 
She lost her father in a boating accident when she was just 14 and dealt with self-blame and guilt, which often shows up as failure for not being who people needed her to be. When I look back at my life, I feel that I was such a energetic, happy child who just wanted to entertain everyone and do everything. Uh, and when I was 14, my dad died in a boating accident. And for me, it's like there's this before and after. There's who I was before that happened and then after and everything changed. And who I was was no longer that other person. I couldn't be that kid anymore. Uh, I had to grow up pretty quickly. I had a lot of brothers and sisters, some who were younger. My youngest brother, he was only three. You know, no real concept of like what it meant that our dad wasn't there. You know, they're they're my half-siblings. So my dad had remarried and had other kids, but we're all very close. And it was interesting because the kids from his first marriage, his wife got all of them therapy after he died uh, from his last marriage, got them those kids therapy. But my mom was just kind of like, we're poor and you seem fine. <laughs> um, it was just it never crossed her mind that like, oh, maybe this was traumatic and my daughter needs help. Uh, and in fact, I went to his funeral, uh, which was in Texas. And at the time I was living in Illinois with my mom and <laughs> I went to his funeral and I had signed up for theater camp before all this happened. And my mom was like, the theater camp isn't giving us a refund. So you're going to go to your dad's funeral. You're going to take a red eye back and we're going to drive you straight to theater camp the next day. And it's what you're just going to have to do. And I just remember being at theater camp, sitting there like, "My, why am I here? Why are people making me play Zip Zap Zop? I don't want to be here. I hate everything. People don't understand the depth of my sorrow. And it was just this isolating experience. And slowly, you know, I, I had close friends in that program who like listened to me and I got to open up to them. But still overall, like I was just a totally isolated kid that, that summer. I guess I would say... As far as, like, surviving after your dad dies, I thrived a bit, I guess. I don't know. I, you know, finished high school with good grades. I got into a good college. I got a lot of scholarships. You know, there was none of the sort of, like, stereotypical, I guess, red flags a parent would look for. Um, you know, she wasn't like, oh, she's drinking, she's doing drugs or anything like that. It was just like, oh, she's in plays and doing her Latin homework, so I guess she's good. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, pain is clever, hey? Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe my whole life I've kind of realized that's just how I deal with any pain. I'm like, well, if I can finish the work, keep going, I'm fine. Yeah. And then you kind of stop and realize, oh, you know, you're not. <laughs> mm -hmm. it, are you okay to tell me about your dad? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had 14 years with him, so I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, he was, he was, I know everybody's like, my dad's the best dad, but my dad was amazing. <laughs> um, he was just... So, so full of life, you know, maybe it's the stereotype, like, my mom was so strict, but my dad was the one who, this was the early 2000s, and he would, like, burn illegal movies and CDs for us and be like, don't tell your mom that I gave you this, like, rap CD. And, you know, he, like, introduced me to all sort of, like, Southern rap culture. Uh, he was the one who, like, you know, would be like, you're going to come stay with me for the summer and I'm going to make sure you know my side of the family. Mm -hmm. I want you to know where you come from. Uh, he was... Truly so fun. And also, like, like a, a daredevil, absolutely. Like, he loved riding Jeeps that didn't have doors mm -hmm. and, like, off-roading. Um, he was always just, like, a risk-taker. 
I was terrified of everything. <laughs> I, I don't really know it, but, like, I remember he got a pool in his house and, like, a giant diving board and was just, like, having all my brothers and sisters jump right into the deep end. And I was just like, no. My mom, I guess, was always like, oh, your dad is so crazy. Like, don't, you know, do all the things he says to do because he'll have you get hurt or something. So I always loved that about him. And it was an, a somewhat odd dynamic we had because... Uh, my dad met my mother when he was still married to his first wife uh, and got my mom pregnant with me. Uh, My mom decided to move to Illinois. And my dad would come see me, like, every month. He'd drive up to Illinois, fly up. You know, Mm -hmm. I had had no concept of, like, his other family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was just like, that's my dad. And he works in Texas and comes here to see me. And his family also was, like, not too far from where I grew up. So I was like, yeah, my my uncles are over there. My Yeah, my family. Uh, And did the first wife know at this point? Okay. No. So kindergarten, I believe, I wrote a Father's Day card to my dad. Uh, mailed it to the address I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and apparently his oldest son from his first marriage found it and was like, hey, what is this? Mm-hmm. Who is this girl? And that's when they found out about me. And immediately my dad was just like, I always meant to tell them, you know. You know, my dad was very like, I want you to know your siblings. And this isn't how I wanted this to happen, but it's how it happened. And, you know, men make mistakes. Uh So he did have me come down immediately. Uh, I remember meeting my brother, my oldest brother, at the airport and walking up to him and going, are you my brother? And he looked at my dad and was like, who is this little girl? Mm. And that is still how he tells the story today, where he's just like, this little girl walks up to me. I'm like, who is she? Uh, But my dad, again, was just like, you're your family. I don't care that it happened this way, like your siblings. And I want you all to know that. Um, And he had remarried at this point. And his new wife did know about me, but the rest of her family didn't. Mm -hmm. And I guess she held a lot of shame about the fact that her husband had a love child. Uh, (laughs) Fair enough, I guess. And she would basically, like, not really want to bring me around family events because she didn't want it to be a whole conversation of, like, well, wait, who is this child? Because I also have a brother who's, like, four months younger than me, so it's pretty obvious what happened there. Uh, You know, and she didn't want to invite that question or whatever. Uh, The last time I went to Texas and hung out with my dad, you know, we hang out at his place, we're doing what we usually do with my siblings, and then he was like, well, we're going to Houston this weekend for a family reunion. Big family reunion, like cousins, distant family, some of her family's going to be there, and I I want you to come. I'm going to pick you up this weekend from your grandparents' house and take you to Houston with the whole family. You're going to meet everybody. I'm like, okay, yes. I tell my grandparents, I'm like, we're going to Houston. I'm excited. I pack my bags. I'm ready. And, you know, he had said like, oh, I'll be there like one o'clock. We'll hit the road. And I am just sitting there waiting and waiting, (laughs) waiting. It's like the sun goes down and my grandma is just like, he's not coming. And I was so angry. I'm just like, I don't understand. He said this was family. I don't understand why I'm not going. Uh, later, years later, after he died, I found out it was because so many relatives there didn't know about me that he didn't want to bring me <laughs> and have to address it. So, you know, and then later he was like, oh, it was just so busy. I totally forgot. And I was like, how do you, how do you forget? Let me pause you here for a second. Um, and I'm, I'm listening to this story <laughs> and my heart, uh, you know, feels for that little girl. And I think yours does too, but you share the story with a smile on your face. And 
I, and you're like, I know, (laughs) (laughs) I know I do. Um, And I'm curious when you notice that about yourself, um, what you think that is? Yeah, I I guess that's something I truly started doing like right after my dad died. Um, Because I mean, at the time I I was angry and I remember, you know, being a very just angry kid about this and telling my dad, you know, I am not going to spend time with you until you fully embrace me as your daughter and stop hiding me. And that was, I pushed this boundary down and was like, I'm not sending Father's Day gifts. You can call me on my birthday, but until you are willing to, you know, acknowledge I'm your daughter. And at this point I was like 14, 13, Mm -hmm. you know, typical teen angst. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was, you know, listening to Corn and Nirvana and I'm just like, (laughs) if you don't want me, I won't even be here. Uh Uh, And so that's the boundary I put down. And then the next year I only heard from my dad on the phone. He didn't bring Mm -hmm. me back down. Uh, The next summer, I was in Texas visiting my grandparents, and I didn't even get in touch with him. I truly was like, I set my boundary, and I was like, he knows that I'm here. If he wants to see me, you know, he can reach out. Uh, And as we're on this trip, I'm watching the news with my grandparents, and there's a news update about someone missing at Lake and I, like, kind of saw the people standing there and thought, like, oh, they kind of look familiar. But, you know, it's I was, you know, 13. I didn't really pay attention to the news. Uh, and by the time we got back to Illinois into our house, we had all of these messages where he had called my mom and asked if I could go on this boat trip with them. Uh, we didn't get the message. And also, I, you know, I was ignoring him on my phone. So I did not know he had invited me on this boat trip. Uh, And then all of these messages saying basically he was the one. And I remember my mom listening to them. And as soon as I heard, like, I remembered it from the news and just ran upstairs crying because I knew it was him. And at the same time, my mom was just like, you would have been on that boat. You could have, it could have been you in the accident. Like, Mm -hmm. essentially, my younger siblings were on some tubes that overflipped and they were having trouble swimming. So my dad jumped in to save them, got them back on the boat. But then he was pulled by a riptide. And my mom was like, you would have been there. Like, you know, I I know that you're angry because you feel like maybe you should have been there or you missed out, but you could have been the person who got hurt. So maybe this is how it was supposed to work. And I'm just like, no, I'm a horrible person. I didn't talk to my dad for a year. Now he's dead. And, you know, feeling the guilt of that. Just what, what came up there? I think it's like, you know, I now in life try to be a more forgiving person because I feel like I can be so strict with boundaries and cutting people off. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of that. And it's like, well, what if I had, you know, approached my dad with more grace? And then I'm also like, I was 13. (laughs) But it's one of those things where I'm like, that was a choice I made to put that boundary down and to lose that connection for those few months And, you know, I, I, you know, you're a teenager, you're not thinking about the long-term consequences. I was just like an angsty kid who was like, okay, I'm sure by Christmas he'll be inviting me over again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so losing that opportunity, I just always felt so guilty and also felt the guilt of like, well, what if I had been there? Mm -hmm. Would it have been different? Could I have helped? Could I have done something? You know, my siblings who were there were so young and I was like, well, I would have been a little older. Maybe it would have played out differently. And it's just, you know, all the what ifs. Yeah, yeah, right. It's so normal to bring forward all the possibilities, right? I can yeah. imagine the endless scenarios that you can create in your mind about it. I, I, don't, I think it was just easier after to 
to kind of laugh about it and to joke about, you know, my teen angst and Mm -hmm. that part of it. And Mm -hmm. yeah. Laughter is a savior sometimes, and it also can be a distractor. Um, You know, there's a few things that stand out to me because, you know, this idea like 13, 14 year old you, you know, the adults are meant to be the ones who lead and guide. Yeah. And like your 13, 14 year old self being boundaried and sassy (laughs) and all the things, right? It's like, yeah, that that feels pretty reasonable. Yeah. It's like boundaries are when the wall goes up, it's about protection. And so what that says to me is that there was a part of you that felt like you needed to protect yourself from something, which from what you've been saying, you were hidden a lot. There wasn't a huge space of belonging for you. Yeah. Right. There was, there was a lot of disappointment, a lot of, um, you know, there was betrayal, obviously kind of circulating around the system, but there was also the disappointments and the letdowns and the, the rupture of trust you know, in, are you showing up? Are you coming? Are you getting me? Right. It's like my expectations got so excited because now I'm no longer in hiding. You're going to present me to everybody else and I'm going to get to be a part of something, right? I'm going to get to be a part of this big family in in the way that he would, you know, use that language with you, right? And then to have that not happen, right, is a huge, massive disappointment. And so it makes sense why you're 13. In fact, it feels very mature for your 13, 14 year old self to be like, you know what? (laughs) This doesn't work for me. You know, it's like until you are ready to bring me in, right? Until you're ready to pull me out of hiding, which means pulling himself out of hiding, right? But (laughs) until you're ready to pull me out of hiding, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to keep doing this dance because it's too painful for me. Yeah. Right. Like 15 years later, my brother got married and that's when a lot of my aunts and cousins were there and they were like, at the time, some of us knew you were his daughter, but he like I had other cousins who truly were like, he told us that you were like a cousin's daughter Mm -hmm. who just truly did not know who I was until the funeral when I showed up (laughs) Uh, and, you know, I'm sitting there with his kids And the pastor was, you know, saying like, oh, let's give our prayers to his children. And he starts naming all the children and he didn't say my name. And my grandmother, the on my dad's side, the only nice thing she ever did for me at the funeral, she stood up and shouted my name. And I mean, I'm 14 that I was so embarrassed. I'm just sitting there like, it's fine. It's really fine. (laughs) Yep, I really didn't need all this. And then afterwards, I'm dealing with all these people coming up to me who are just like, you look just like him. You, uh, how are you? And I'm just like, yeah, I'm his other kid. These are my siblings. I've grown up with them, but I was a secret to his church, to the people around him, to some of his closest friends. And, you know, I guess hearing even recently how deep that was, it just really hurt. And, Yeah, you know, I I guess I felt like I had to do a lot of growing up on my own as a kid. So I think putting up that boundary in that way was just me kind of going, okay, I'm figuring this out myself again. Mm -hmm. And later kind of resenting like my mom for being like, why didn't you help? Why didn't you get me therapy? Why didn't you? I'm alone in this. Yeah. And her just being like, oh, you always just seem so strong and fine. (laughs) Yeah, right. That's the survival part. Yeah. Right. It's like there's so much happening. And so let me just be fine. And that's how we're going to get through this. Yeah. Get by this. But sometimes we need somebody to to see through that part. 
okay. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Hiding feels like an important word here for us. Um, you know, the reality of it is, is that you were hidden quite a bit. And I'm curious how you feel like you hide today. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness. I mean, well, uh, I, I made a career out of turning my life into a joke. <laughs> mm. So pretty much anytime anything happens, my first thought is, What's the bit here? I can have the most disastrous, uh, abusive, horrible mm -hmm. relationship or situation. And if I can walk away with a two-minute joke that makes people laugh, I'm like, it was worth it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Which probably isn't. Um, well, let me say this, though, because um, one of my colleagues, Alexandra Solomon, says that our um, our pain and our gifts are next-door neighbors. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And, you know, to your point— Right, your capacity to create something funny, hilarious out of something so painful, right? It's like there's a gift in that, right? Yeah. There is a gift to that, right? You're able to make yourself laugh. You're able to make other people laugh. I think most people would agree that laughter <laughs> is a gift, right? Um, and right, this fear that if I connect to my pain actually will i lose my gift yeah where what will happen to the bit oh yeah right <laughs> and yeah that's why it took me so long to seek therapy as an adult and to get on medication because I was like, well, what if I get on antidepressants? I'm not funny anymore. Mm -hmm. As every creative is right. probably, oh no, I'll lose that gift, that yeah. talent. Like I won't know how to be, you know, and turns out that's not what happens mm -hmm. when you get on antidepressants. <laughs> it doesn't just magically change everything about you. You are no longer funny. Yeah, ever. you're no longer funny. <laughs> but I just always saw it as like, that's my method of coping. I know yeah. how to make something funny. I know how to write about it. I know how to open this feeling up to other people so they can relate and feel better. That was what kind of became important to me was how I could use my pain for other people to to learn about themselves or to laugh or to grow. Um, but I wonder if you can use your pain for you to learn about yourself more. Oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just wiggle your way out of here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Right, because that's so in what a you know what an offering to others, you know. And I think sometimes when we step into that role of like, okay, who do I need to be, right, for everyone else around yeah. me, right? Who do I need to be so that mom's okay, and who do I need to be so that my siblings are okay, and right, all of the things. And there it is again, right? Okay, who do I need to be? I need to be funny so that I can offer other people an opportunity to find whatever pleasure, joy, something, right, humor in their pain. Yeah. 
But I guess I would challenge you in that to be like, okay, but where where are you in that? Yeah, I guess it's when you said that what came up for me was like, I hate being like the the recipient of pity and sympathy. I don't know why that is. Mm -hmm. But like, even when my dad died, it was like, whatever, leave me alone. Like, I'm fine. Like, don't pity me about this. Don't Mm -hmm. feel bad for me. I don't want your negative attention. You know, I went to theater camp and I made jokes and I was just like, I don't need, you know, just, I just say I'm good. (laughs) Like, you don't need to, you know, even now when like, uh, like, gosh, it was 2019, I was in an abusive relationship with someone who was fairly, you know, like popular. So a lot of people knew what happened when he faced charges and stuff and knew what happened to me. And all these people were just like, you know, outpourings of sympathy and grief. And I was just like, I'm going to just make jokes, like whatever, whatever. (laughs) Like, I'm back to work. I'm going to figure this out in therapy. I don't need other people saying they're sorry. And I guess I realized like anytime that's I've dealt with anything big in my life. That's kind of how I I deal with it is that I'm just like, I don't need you to be sorry for me. Like, I'm just going to keep moving on. Because if you're sorry for me, then what? I don't know. Try. What do you think? Yeah. I guess it's, I, I don't know. I just, I fear, I guess, being seen as pitiful or weak. I think also like a lot of times as like as a black woman who has been open about victimhood sometimes it's so difficult because a lot of people want to like throw it back in your face they want to say well it's your fault it's how did you end up here how you know we're feeling sympathy for you but what did you do to make this mistake i felt like people when they're doing that there's also an aspect of it where they're blaming me. Mm. Okay. So earlier, I heard your own blame of yourself. And I'm wondering where that comes into this. Yeah. Right? Because this part that's like, ugh, get get that stuff away from me. Right? Like, I don't want the pity. I don't, I don't want any, I just don't, don't get close to me with whatever you've got because (laughs) what's going to happen from here is like somehow it's going to become my fault. Yeah. Okay. And I hear you on everything that you just described. And right. I heard you before tell me many of the ways that you were making this your fault. Yeah. Okay. And so I want to understand that part. What is it like? What was it like? What does it feel like for you? What has it felt like for you when you have made this your fault? When you have injected yourself into the storyline and created a narrative that says, if I had just, whatever, picked up the phone, unblocked, what gone on the trip, right? Like then there would be a different outcome. And so, yeah, I'm curious about your relationship with self-blame. I guess I I do tend to, when something goes wrong, blame myself first, even if it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily about me. Like growing up, if there were 
financial issues in the house, I would be like, it's because I'm so expensive, you know, like, it's because I have to go to this private school, and I didn't get enough in scholarships. So now my mom has to pay for these books, and it's my fault, Mm -hmm. you know, and she has to work harder and got my first job when I was 12. Because I was like, I got to make it, you know, I don't want to have the blame for this when my mom is like, Mm -hmm. the power's out, because I had to pay for your horseback riding stuff. And so she would, uh, She'd point to those things. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Her favorite thing to say about me was, you have the most expensive tastes. You always want the thing that's like the most money or, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, you're the one who sent me to private school, okay? Not my fault. I didn't get enough scholarship money. Mm-hmm. And there's always just a lot of like blame and things happening in my home. Uh, my mom had a daycare in our house. Uh, so like our whole first floor of the home was a daycare full of children from six weeks old to 13. Uh, and that she started that when I was two months. So it was all I knew in life was having tons of other people's kids in my house. And I started helping my mom when I was like eight or nine. That's when she had me start working with the daycare kids. By the time I was 12, I was getting background checked. I could change diapers so I could like, you know, watch kids with her. By the time I was 16, I could watch kids by myself. I just would have that pressure on me also of... I need her business to work. Like if a parent was upset because, you know, their kid had a runny nose when they came to pick him up and we hadn't cleaned him up, it was like, oh, that's my fault. Like I should have been watching, paying attention to this kid. Or, oh my gosh, yeah, his his diaper's wet. Let me just change him really quick. Or, you know, she accepted state subsidy children, which means you have to like log every meal you serve the kids in this like government database. Mm -hmm. And my mom is so bad with computers. So she would literally just have me do it. Yeah. I would help her finish her essays for her early childhood development class. And, you know, I was like, oh, I'm there. I'm in the daycare doing this. If things went wrong, like, oh, I didn't get all the lunch things in. I didn't finish this. I didn't, I couldn't watch this kid. I didn't have time to go downtown and pay off the water bill. Those were, you know, I was blamed for that. I also have an older brother who lived with us who uh, is mentally delayed and had a lot of just like need special needs things. And so a lot of times my mom would like take the blame out on him and I would just kind of let that happen because the blame wouldn't be on me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So like I would just, if I mess something up around the house, I knew that my mom would just immediately jump to, why did your brother do this? Mm -hmm. And I would just be like, I don't know why he did that. Mm -hmm. And knowing it was fully me and I would just watch them sit and argue and I would just sit there and never say a word uh, until now. And now my brother's like, I can't believe you. (laughs) And I'm just like, I I just feared that blame being placed on me and taking the brunt of it. And yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. There was a lot of adulting that you had to do from a really early age and yeah, survival. You know, it's like you look around, you see what's going on. You were a very attuned and aware and bright child, right? It's like you're watching and seeing and observing and you're figuring out who you need to be, right, in order to try to get the outcome that you want. Yeah. Which is less blame, less criticism, um, less feeling at fault for things. And I guess when you said what came up, when you said that was like the blame... I don't know, in a way it's like to accept the blame in like those situations is to admit that like I failed at being what I needed to be in that situation. I failed to see what my siblings needed or what my dad needed. And Mm. I, you know, felt like I was being selfish and it makes me go, yeah, I should have been able to see 
what they needed. And if I had been there, I could have seen what they needed and I could have done something. And even just like not being there as a person in their lives, I'm like, maybe if I had kept talking to him, like I would have been like, instead of going boating that day for July 4th, let's go do this if I was still in touch. And I think it's that feeling of like, well, I failed not just in a way where I'm going to be blamed, but also I failed to be the person this person needed. Mm-hmm. And that hurts me. That's where I'm like, I want to be the person this person needed. I want to be the person who could have made this okay, who could have helped, who could have, you know, saved the day, I guess. Who did you need? Probably someone. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I guess. Stay there for a second, though. It's okay if you don't have a clear answer to it right now. But it's like, what did you need? I mean, I needed support and I needed guidance. I needed structure. Absolutely. Uh, Because I think once my mom saw I handled my dad's death, she was just like, you're basically an adult then. (laughs) Um, Like, I just felt like I had so little support and structure in that way. When I was 17, like I met a boy who, you know, was just very supportive. Like he would build me things. He would, you know, if Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I have this, he'd be like, I'll drive you here, pick you up here. We'll do this. You know, he was very, he's a Virgo. So he's very just like organized. And I hadn't had that. I was just like, it's someone who, Mm -hmm. when I have things to do, they're helping me. And I, I was obsessed. I was just like, I'm in love with you. (laughs) We got engaged when I was 19, which, you know, looking back, I'm like, that's crazy. My mom should have been like, no, no, like you're going to college. Don't stay with this boy, like explore the world. Mm -hmm. But I think instead she just saw he helps her. Like she gets things done with him and that's okay. They can be together. Like, Mm -hmm. Truly, I don't think I would have been able to move to college without him. Like, I went from Illinois to Massachusetts. He helped me pack. He helped me drive. I don't think I probably would have graduated from high school without him. Like, mm-hmm. Would it be true to say that you felt seen by him? Yeah. 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 Yeah, and I think, yeah, actually, it's really interesting. Yeah. But I, I think that that's, you know, <laughs> I, I know you're saying, like, an, oh, 19-year-old self, how crazy. I'm like, oh, actually, yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Right? Like, here's here's someone, maybe the first person, um, maybe the per- first person in a really intimate way. It's possible that you had teachers or coaches or, you know, some type of guide in your life at another point where you felt seen. But at, at least in our conversation so far, this guy is the first person yeah. where I'm hearing this like you kind of came alive a bit actually uh, when you started talking about him um and that's what stood out right like here's this person who actually sees me yeah and And, yeah it's interesting because a lot of our getting together was me fighting to be seen by him (laughs) I guess mm -hmm. he like dated a girl who was in my class (laughs) notice me yeah it was truly like he was dating a girl in my class he was like seeing all these other girls and I truly was just like I'm gonna show him I'm the coolest I'm the best I'm the one like Mm -hmm. and it was like fight and when I remember when he when we started dating and it was like I won and like him coming to my school dance and this other girl being like oh I'm heartbroken uh But for me, it was like, we're together. He sees me. We're meant to be together. Mm -hmm. And I mean, we did date. We were together like four years, uh, four and a half. I mean, looking back now, I see it and I see it as like my mom let that happen because 
she didn't want to deal with me. <laughs> like, he was a way I could be emotional with him. I could cry with him. I could figure out the hard stuff with him. Yeah. And I, I also think his parents were kind of doing that, too. He had some emotional issues. You know, he was one of those boys who liked to punch holes in walls and yell mm-hmm. at people. And I had a way of calming him down. And I remember his parents being like, we don't know what we would do without you in his life. Like, I, we don't, we wouldn't know how to raise him. We wouldn't know how to help him or help him graduate without mm-hmm. you. You are, you bring peace to our home. And I was like, that's so sweet. And now thinking back, I'm like, that's a crazy thing to say to a 17 year old girl. <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Not, not the roles that yeah. we ought to be in. Yeah. You know, in, in, in that space. Right. And I think even when you said you know, describing your mom being like, yeah, great. This he, he gives her what you know she needs because I don't know how to or I can't see you or I don't have the capacity to see you. Um, I don't know if you have ideas around, you know, what the limitation was. She was doing a lot of caretaking for a lot of other kiddos. Yeah. <laughs> and I am struck by how many other children um, uh, were around you for a very long time between yes. the daycare and yeah, your yeah. your half siblings. <laughs> yeah, eight you, brothers and sisters. Yeah. And my mom at all times had full capacity of like 15 kids in the yeah. daycare. It's so. a lot of kids to be around and very yeah. easy to get lost in that mix. Yeah. And I don't know, I will say to my mom's credit, she did a good job of still making me feel loved by her. I always yeah. felt loved. I always knew that like my mom would, you know, prioritize me above anyone else. You know, I, you know, she would always say, you saved my life. You're my baby. You're, you know, I always, she started the daycare so she could be with me. She mm-hmm. didn't like dropping me off and mm-hmm. she wanted to be like, I will Incredible. be here for you. So yeah. I knew that she did this out of love. And frankly, like, I didn't mind sharing my mom with all the daycare kids. Mm -hmm. I was just like, my mom is amazing. Like, I was like, she's the best. She does my hair. She's so fun. We have all these toys at our house. I loved that all the daycare kids loved my mom and I loved sharing her. And they would call her mom. And to this day, there are daycare kids that like invite her to graduations and call her mom. And I love that. And to me, it was always like, it always felt like there's enough love for everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think as I got older, it was kind of like, she has all this love for all these people and I need to grow up and take more care of myself and find mm-hmm. other love. Yeah. I don't <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I sometimes blame that for why I'm polyamorous now. I'm like, it's your fault, mom, because I didn't mind sharing you with a bunch of people. So yeah. <laughs> There's more ands in there, you know, and gosh incredible what you just described, right? Like, uh, how cool. Right? She, she didn't want to drop you off. She wanted to be home with you. She created a business out of it. I mean, yeah. really remarkable. Um, and so special, right? Like, I can see why you say that you felt prioritized because of that, right? Yeah. Um, and how beautiful it is, right, for all of these other children to feel so deeply loved and cared for by her too, right? Yeah. I can see how touching it is for you to see these kids grow up or their children or, you know, and like how connected, right? Yeah. She still is. And, and, yeah, and, 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 and you don't make a lot of space for what you needed. She was a mom who loved you a lot. She was a mom who was able to prioritize you in certain ways. Yeah. Right? And, you needed things. Yeah. 
Yeah. And is it hard for you to connect to what you needed? Your grown-up part, right? Your very, like, mature part that comes from your teenage self yeah. comes into the room and is like, I, but I have to figure it out. You know, like, yeah. I, no, you pull up the big girl pants hands and, and do it. go figure ahead it out. and do yeah. it, right? And, and so you find this way, but it comes from your teenage mature part. I actually yeah. don't think it's the the you right here who no. goes there, right? Um <laughs> as a very different person then. Yeah. And it truly was like, you are an adult now, you're 17, yeah. like get your stuff together. Like if I was a menace, honestly, academically and stuff. I was just like, I'm an adult. I'm gonna get these scholarships. I'm gonna get into the best college. I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Do this, this, and this. Like I I even I, I mean I would say I was an asshole. Like, I remember I, my best friends would, like, come to me with emotional issues or, like, this boy, da, da, da. And I would just be like, you need to get yourself together, be realistic, and get your work done, okay? Mm-hmm. We are here to get into college, not to have feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so how's that working out for you now? Uh, well, in college, I started smoking a lot of pot, and uh-huh. now I'm not like that. Okay. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Now I'm like... I look back at that, and I I do sometimes still feel it pop up. Mm -hmm. I was just actually at my 10-year college reunion, and someone, like, one of my best friends was, like, talking about how they were mad that another friend, like, was busy with uh, their new baby and da-da-da, and they weren't inviting them to things, and they felt left out. And I just was like, look, you kind of need to man up here. You're an adult. They have children. They're dealing with a whole new life. Mm -hmm. Uh, So maybe have some grace for them. And and then I'm like, wait, no, that's it's totally valid. You know, and I'm just like, yeah, you're right. You should let them know that you feel left out and reach out to them and tell them what you need. And I can give people advice like that. And then to myself, I'm just like, why would I ever tell someone what I need? That is letting them know your weakness. So where do you think the weakness part comes from, right? That like, if I were to, if I were to say this is what I needed most and didn't get, right? Or what I craved for the most from mom or dad or whomever, like, what's the weakness? Like, then you reveal your cards and you can get hurt or, (laughs) or what is it? Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's the, you can get hurt. People take advantage. People use that to get close so they can work towards whatever aims they have, you know? Mm. Um, Yeah, I guess I I feel like so rarely do people genuinely want to support or help me that I think they must have some secondary thing that's driving them for themselves. There's some, yeah, there's some other narrative or purpose they're doing this for. And, you know, what is that? What what are they trying to get from me? Okay, so what was your mom trying to get? <laughs> like help oh. with the computer? Yeah, so help qu- with the daycare, mm-hmm. just uh, help with the daycare, help with, I mean, she also was dealing with a lot of grief. Like my mm-hmm. dad's passing hurt her a lot too. You of know, course. she loved him and that was something that really didn't click for me until I was older. Like that was a massive loss for her. She had a lot of relationships that were, you know, fiery and uh, some were great, some not so great. I think I was sort of her stability in that. She could come home from a bad date and I'm there wanting to watch Golden Girls with her and Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was her best friend. And, you know, I think she needed that from me and that I could do. Mm -hmm. But what I knew she didn't need from me was 
me being difficult or sad. That was the stuff that made it things hard. I don't know. I think I was in fifth grade. I was super into Nirvana, Blink-182, and I was just writing song lyrics on a piece of paper. And they were all like sad song lyrics, emo, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, they feel me. Like, oh, I'm an outsider. I'll never fit in. Mm -hmm. And she found the piece of paper and like freaked out. She was just like, what is this? What? Why are you feeling this way? This is negative. You shouldn't be doing this. And I was just like, oh, (laughs) oh, okay, that, that's bad. Yeah. Okay, don't... Cut this part out. Cut that part out. That's not... Yeah. She doesn't like dealing with this. She doesn't need to know about this. Mm-hmm. And that's how I kind of always operated with her. <laughs> I actually remember the moment I was like, anytime I have a sad, deep feeling, I cannot tell this woman about it. <laughs> like, we were watching the movie 13 together, and she just started, like, sobbing at the movie. You know, it's about these 13-year-old girls who, like, lose everything, and... And are doing drugs. And I was watching it like, this is interesting. But mom, like, I'm in Girl Scouts. (laughs) And she's, like, sobbing and holding me. And she's just like, please don't ever be like this. Please don't do this, you know? And I was just like, okay. Like, you will not be able to take it if I tell you, like, I have a crush on someone and they don't like me back. Like, you are not someone who can be emotionally there for me because you're not emotionally strong enough to be there for me, I guess. Yeah. And But that's it, right? Is you can't handle this yeah and kind of same for your dad yeah you can't handle the chaos that you have created for yourself yeah right and so you then have to shut down a part of yourself yeah i kept all of the scary sad deep things from her yeah i never let her see it uh there was Someone who was a father of a daycare kid who later came out that he was sexually assaulting some of the his niece and people in his house. And my mom was like, if anything happened, please tell me. Like, I know you were over there a lot. You he you would spend nights. Like, please tell me. And something did happen. He did assault me. And I knew I couldn't tell her. Mm-hmm. I knew that if I did, it would break her. It would... Yeah break everything you know I was like I see how much Law and Order SVU watch I can't say I and I I was probably only like 12 but I just knew I can't tell her this Mm -hmm. like I will break her you know it's so interesting that you talk about this being about your weakness as opposed to other people's yeah yeah and I can feel this part kind of opening, and I know you and I have just met, and uh, I'm probably not the person where you're like, yeah, let's let's try opening up <laughs> with a with a stranger. Although I guess sometimes it can. We're opening uh, up. I feel really yeah, yeah. Like uh, sometimes it can happen more easily that way. But as you're speaking, right, I can hear this part that's like, I needed you to have a greater capacity. Yeah, I needed you to be able to tolerate. My emotions, my like valid, reasonable emotions, because I'm this tiny human in the world who's like kind of just figuring it out right now. And I actually need adults to support me and help me and guide me with the range of stuff that I'm feeling here. But because you can't hold it and handle it, right, because you don't have capacity for it, because your limitations stop you at a certain point, right, then I have to reject and hide parts of myself. Yeah. So, yes, you do have an idea of what you needed. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I needed 
a parent, I guess. I needed that type of support. And my mom was just like, you were so mature, you could handle yourself. Like, I didn't feel like I needed to step in that way. But I just feel like there were things where as a mom, she should have been like, I don't care if you feel like the mature thing. Yeah. Um, Like when I was, I guess I would have been 15. This was actually like pretty soon after my dad died. Um, My cousin and best friend who we were born a month apart from each other we grew up together one of those like play yeah. cousins where you're like actually not related yeah, but you're like my you're my sister <laughs> we looked alike yeah. we would dress alike every summer she would come to Rockford and stay with me I would go to Detroit and stay with her you know our parents were best friends our moms knew each other for decades like there's pictures of us for from, from forever and uh when I was a few months after my dad died uh she killed herself and that broke like that broke me. I was just like she was my person. Like she we were the same. I I couldn't understand it. And I remember my mom telling me and I, I was sobbing and they told me when the funeral was gonna be and I was in a musical at school. And I was like, Well, I have to go to this funeral. I have to go to the funeral. And my drama teacher was like, Wouldn't it be better to perform in honor of your cousin and do the show? And I just kind of snap right back into that. Yeah, I need to grow up and be an adult about this. I need to move on. It w- yes, I'm going to do the show. I'm not going to go to the funeral. This is what a responsible person does. And my mom went and I didn't. I stayed back yeah. like with friends and like did the show. And there's the other motive. Yeah. Right there. I need you to come perform because then the show can't happen. Yeah. Right. So what I need becomes more important than what you need. Yeah. And I know that that was a drama teacher and yeah, right. But like there is an example exactly of what you just described before. Right. Is that other, I can't trust other people because yeah. what you need from me isn't clean. Yeah. And I just wanted my mom to step in and be like, that's crazy. No, you have to go to this funeral. And I just have always been angry that that's how it happened. I, I didn't find out until later. Like her mom was so upset I didn't go. And mm-hmm. I just have always regretted that. I just was so stuck in that zone of if I slow down, if I don't keep doing the work, I will just fall apart. Yeah, but here's the thing, right? Regret happens when we are disconnected from self, meaning we're going to be connected to other more. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And so you're going to keep creating moments and opportunity for regret to find its way in. Right, because if you're living with other at the f- at the center, right at the forefront, has everybody else experiencing me? What does everybody else need? Pull it up, do the thing. Right, it's like when you are living for other, protecting them, caretaking them, managing their emotional experiences for them, all of it. Right, you have to be disconnected from self, yeah. and when you're disconnected from self, regret comes in. Yeah. I, I, what my true self wanted in that moment was to be there, to be with me. And yeah, I, and so, yeah, I guess that's the thing is that I am weary of listening to other people's advice or opening up to people in a way where they try to help me because I just am still like, it's, it's your own purpose and motive. Like what I have a hard time with that, of trusting that people genuinely want to just help me to help me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, even when it's like my mom, I still am just like, yeah. what is this really about? 
let's take one last break. We'll be right back. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I think part of what helps us discern to like feel into the difference between those who have a different agenda is that when we begin to do that for ourselves, right, connect with self in an authentic way, do it without needing to hide ourselves from ourselves, right? We can start to suss it out with other people better. Yeah. And in theory, that sounds nice. You have to live that a bit, right? Because I think the way that you were describing how you're living, like the wall is up, right? I don't trust people. And you are fun and wonderful. You present in a way that seems like, okay, people can connect with you and you're you're easy (laughs) to connect with. And and so other people might think that they are connecting with you. (laughs) Yeah, that's something I get all the time, like especially from my comedy and strangers will just be like, I feel like I know you so well. I connect with you so much. And I'm just like, you don't know anything about me. (laughs) Can I hug you? (laughs) Yeah, I'm just like, I have friends like mm-hmm. at my reunion I had friends who knew me for four years in college who are like oh you were always so open and honest about everything I just oh I can't believe you still do that today you're so open I feel like I know you and then they'll be like you were engaged all four years we were in college uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm just like yep yeah you, there's a lot of things you don't know about yeah. me yeah. <laughs> yeah but that's it right it's like you knew from a really early age how to act it yeah and I, I know that can have like sort of this negative connotation to it. And I don't mean it in that way. Um, but that there's this like, okay, I'm fine. I'm such a good actress that my mom thought that I was totally fine and, you know, well-adjusted and didn't need any therapy and was good to go on with life. Yep. Right? You know, like, <laughs> I went to theater camp. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? And so there's this part, right, that has been successful, right, at acting. And clearly it goes beyond that moment too. Yeah. And... I understand that trust is hard. Um, But one of the things that I think that makes trusting others a little bit easier is when we really have a strong relationship with trusting ourselves. Yeah. And strengthening the muscle, right, that says, I can see the thing. Yeah. I can be with the thing. I can feel the thing. I can experience the thing without needing, shh, nope, put it away. You're weak. Don't do this. Uh-uh. Nope. Right. You're so, you're quick to that. Right. And to yeah. actually create some space for yourself. Again, I know a lot of what I'm saying right now requires us to think about it in theory, right? What would it be like to trust someone else? How could yeah. I decide that? How could I feel that in my body, right? Where I'm like, 
okay, I actually can sense that you don't need anything from me. Yeah. Tell me what's coming up for you. I do have a hard time trusting myself in my own instinct. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I will feel in my gut this, but my head will go, no, let's do this. Yeah. I do think a lot of it, what came up is that I was like, you know, the last time I truly trusted my gut and felt like I am doing this for Mm -hmm. me was when I told my dad, like, Mm -hmm. I'm taking this boundary and I know this is the right thing I need to do. And then it had these horrible, you know, consequences. I feel like ever since then, I doubt myself. I'll feel a certain, I'm like, okay, no, give this person more grace maybe. Or Mm -hmm. maybe it's not how you feel it is. Like maybe... It could be this. That I, It leads me to second-guessing myself mm-hmm. and not trusting myself. Yeah, because the, the no that enters in is 14-year-old you. Yeah. And listen, like, no shade to 14-year-olds, but, like, <laughs> I don't know if we need to trust them all the time with their wise decision-making since their prefrontal cortex is yeah, not yeah. fully developed. But, right, it's like, I think there's something about the adult you Let's see if we follow it, okay? Yeah. 14-year-old you really needed the adult to come in and be like, I see your boundary, you know, and I love a child setting a boundary for sure. But sometimes, right, we need an adult to step in and take the lead with something. You're upset with me. Okay. I see yeah. that, right? I, I see that, right? I've disappointed you. I let you down right? Or no, you need to go or you have the choice, right? You have the choice. If you want to go to that funeral, you absolutely go to that funeral, right? Yeah. Right. You needed adults to step in and to speak to that part that was like, I'm feeling, nope, shut it down. Yeah. Okay. So same thing today. 14 year old shows up every single time you're like, let's feel something. She's like, no, no, <laughs> shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> right. Adult you, right, has to talk to her, right, in the way that you needed the adults to talk to you back then, and they didn't, okay? And we can hold grace and compassion too, but we still need to call the thing the thing, okay? Yeah. Right? So like, yep, limitations, we get it. There's a story. There's context. Understood. I don't have to hate them and vilify them or anything like that, right? But just okay, what I needed the adults to do right, is very clear. It becomes clearer the more you spend time with it. Right? Yeah. What I need the adult to do is to take that 14-year-old's hand in those moments that shuts you down, that shuts down every emotion that wants to come up, every experience that you're feeling, and tell her no back. <laughs> Yeah, to work with her, be like, okay, let's learn how to be with our feelings. Yeah, Let's learn how to be in this experience. Let's make space and let's not shame it. Let's stop calling it weakness. Let's stop doing all the things that we've been doing for a long period of time and actually give ourselves a bit of space here. When you come online like that, it's not you who's sitting here right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What's there? I, I yeah, I, I guess that is the. I I spent so much of my life seeing that feeling and that version of me as immature, mm-hmm. and you know the things not that's not going to get things done. You know mm-hmm. that's not the me that was able to go to college, triple major, do yeah. what I wanted to do, 
And it's something that I always felt would slow me down or hinder me yeah. or and it, so it was just better not to deal with it. <laughs> and and it's like, I don't know. It's like it's like listening to that voice. Maybe I would have made better choices sometimes. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe not. But I think it's about right now. You know, I think it's about recognizing that growth and maturity and healing are about creating space for all of that stuff. Yeah. And still achieving the things you want to achieve. Right? You can either be driven by your pain or you can be driven by your healing. Yeah. Right? And I think for a long time you've been driven by your pain. Yeah. And just, yeah, wanting to be like, the pain's not there if I'm doing the work. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's always so tricky when you're successful. <laughs> you know, it's Honestly. Like, right? It's like, damn, <laughs> the success really confuses the whole thing. It really does. Yeah. You but, know, like, it's hard to be like, oh, maybe I need to, when I'm like, oh, I, I got a good job. Right. I've achieved this. I hit yeah. the goals I want to hit. You know, and at the end of the day, I'm like, well, what do I even need listening to that version of me? Yeah. What what can I even gain other than like what being sad? Like, Yeah, what you gain is giving her what she's always needed. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I do feel that, you know, after college when I broke up with that partner and I had just really hit this wall. My mom didn't have the daycare anymore. I hit this wall of like. I don't want to be the adult for other people anymore. Like, mm -hmm. the that guy, he helped me. I also helped him so much. Like, truly, like, I filled out his college applications. I would do his essays. I would tell him when he had to be at work, maintain his schedule. And when I graduated, I was just like, I don't want to do this for anyone anymore. I don't want to be anyone's parent. And I felt like I gave myself this permission to regress. <laughs> I was just like, I'm going to be a teenager again in my 20s. I'm going to live yeah. crazy. I moved in with like two 20-year-old boys who I knew from high school and was just like, I am going to day drink. Yeah. I don't care about responsibilities and paying bills. And I was just like, I'm going to regress and like finally have that freedom that I've always wanted. And it took me a while to realize like, oh, this isn't, like, what, this mm -hmm. isn't listening to that inner child. Like, this is yeah, more like opposition. a temper tantrum. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it. It's opposition. And then you're like, okay, this isn't good. And then you're like, okay, let me go back to this. Yeah. And let me just remind you, right, that there's a middle point. Yeah. Okay? And sometimes what we do is we swing, right? We swing that pendulum. We're over here and we're pleasing and we're taking care of all the things and we're doing everybody's homework for them and we're getting them the A's and we're doing it, right? And then you're like, screw that. And you go all the way over here and you're like, oh shit, that doesn't work either, yeah. right? And then we go back. Yeah. And I, I guess that's another way I've kind of closed myself off is that swinging to that other way, I haven't, I don't have to help people. I don't have to know what people need. Yeah. I shut myself off to that so often yeah. where if I see like, oh, this person is expecting too much from me, I walk away. I'm yeah. just like, I don't do that anymore. Like I can see it. Mm -hmm. And I just get so afraid when I feel like people are relying on me mm -hmm. now that I, it just, I, I freak out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because when we confuse reliance with closeness, intimacy, 
Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's hard, right? We can't let people get close then. Yeah. We can't bring our wall down because it's like, oh, if I do that, then you will depend on me, rely on me. I will then need to become this person in your life and I don't want to be that person anymore. And so the best thing for me to do is just move away from that and keep a wall up in some way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it's layered. It's It's got complications to it. I don't expect you to go out there and be like, okay, <laughs> who wants to get close? Um, yeah. But I would love it and encourage you to see if you might just start to get a little closer to yourself. Yeah. Like actually, you know, like actually let yourself get just a little bit closer to yourself and see what that feels like before we even think about okay, what does closeness mean without reliance? And right, that's a yeah. lot, right? There's pieces that we have to pull apart from that. But, but okay, what does it look like for me to just get a little closer with myself? And not make it a joke? And not Oof. make it a joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So have I made it into a bit yet? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, all right. Yeah. Like the processing the feelings and sitting in it. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> all right. All right. But, okay. Something that you've taken away from today. Let's put it. Yeah. It, the jokes, all of it aside, I can, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you there sometimes. <laughs> right. But yeah, if we just actually come back in, because I think we had a um, beautiful and serious conversation for a big chunk of this. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, tell me uh, what stands out to you, for you. I think the feeling that that my feelings are valid, that it isn't something to be ashamed of or worried that someone is going to use it against me or something that'll make me fall apart or ruin everyone around me if I'm honest about how I feel or that I'm sad about things and I can be honest about it without making it funny to make it more comfortable for everyone else mm -hmm. that I just need to sit in it and like that adult sit in it, figure out what I need yeah. and address it with myself rather than immediately going, how do I make this entertaining for other people? And I think also just what you said about regret coming from not trusting yourself mm -hmm. or being separated from your true self and how most of my regrets come from that, of that wanting to think I had to fill this role or be this person for people and not just being honest to my true self of this is what I want and need. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. You know, some people might be upset. You know, I, I yeah, I hate to bust that <laughs> bubble a little bit, but I think it's important to say, right, is that like, yeah, sometimes people will not know what to do when you share how you feel. Yeah. Right. And some people might be disappointed by a choice you make, even if it's really aligned with self. Part of our work is to be able to tolerate that yeah. as opposed to tolerating the things that disconnect us from self. Yeah. I guess I just always feel like these feel feelings are going to lead to arguments. Feelings are going to yeah. lead to issues and... Yeah. I have a hard time with like, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. That might happen. And also when we start this work, you with you is a safe place. Yeah. You know, 
We're going to come to a close here yeah. uh, pretty soon, oh. but I want to see it. Yeah. If there's anything else that you want to say or what that wow moment was for you. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I guess it, it's just making a lot of sense for me in terms of how I navigate my current relationships and do my sort of relationship structures. Uh, I'm solo polyamorous, mm-hmm. so I have partners, but I always consider myself single, <laughs> which, which friends are just like, what? <laughs> They're like, wait, so you have a partner who loves and cares about you, but you consider yourself single? And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> I don't want them to, you know, lean on me too much. Uh, and maybe I see the connection there. Maybe yeah, I do maybe. a little. Maybe know. there's a bit yeah. of a connection. Possible. Yeah. <laughs> might have to stretch our necks for that one. Yeah, that but, you that know. might be a whole other thing. Yeah. But I think seeing that and my fear of like, being forced to play that parent role in life or in relationships, I associate that so heavily with being honest about my feelings and it's, you know, separating that. That was then, this is now, like you said. And yeah. Beautiful. Thank Thank you you for being here. (laughs) Thank you. You've just blown my mind. So (laughs) Beautiful. Thanks for spending time with me. Thank you. It's so common to find ways to disconnect or distract away from our hurt. Michelle uses humor. But what do you use? How do you distract away from what's needing tending to? Do you get busy? Become critical of others? Prioritize other people's pain? Or pretend like you're fine? Just tune in here for a moment and notice what it is you do to avoid facing your pain. And if you're open for a bit of a deeper dive, I'd love for you to answer these prompts without overthinking them. Just whatever comes to mind first, okay? My pain is... I struggle to acknowledge it because... What my avoidance serves is... What I believe that protects me or others from is... What that robs me from is acknowledging this feels. Part of Michelle's growth is going to ask her to discern with whom she can bring her pain forward. It doesn't need to be with everyone, but it does need to be with someone. For her to feel whole, for her to honor her whole experience, she needs to sit with herself, feel, and allow for others to witness her pain too. I hope you'll do the same. I hope what you heard was helpful. If you like the show, tell your friends and loved ones to listen. It would also mean so much to me if you would rate and review This Keeps Happening on Apple Podcasts. This Keeps Happening is hosted by me, Vienna Farron with production support from Manola Morales and Anita Flores. Our engineers are Jared O'Connell and Brendan Burns. Our theme music is by Casey Holford. Our managing producer is Tamika Weatherspoon. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana from Stitcher Studios, Keith O'Connell, and Will Rogers from Soundbite Entertainment. Stitcher.
body. Hey, did you know there's a little pink pill? Wait, a what? A little pink pill? Did you say a little pink pill? Yes, the little pink pill. You definitely need to know about this. Are you for real? Just to be clear, you're telling me there's a little pink pill? For me? That's right. The Little Pink Pill. And it's called Addy. A-D-D-Y-I. Or Flavanserin. Learn more about The Little Pink Pill at A-D-D-Y-I.com. See full prescribing information and medication guide, including boxed warning regarding severe low blood pressure and fainting in certain settings at Addy.com slash P-I. Or call 844-PINK-PILL. Good news, ladies. There's more. Addy, the FDA-approved Little Pink Pill, is also affordable and can be shipped directly to your front door. That's right. With insurance coverage, Addy is only $20 per month and $0 after month three. If your insurance doesn't cover Addy, there is still a discount program to get you the best possible price and get free shipping right to your door. So now's the time to ask your doctor about Addy. Learn more at Addy.com. That's A-D-D-Y-I.com. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.